We are uh, wrapping up Habits of the Heart today, and this series has done exactly what I wanted it to do. So it was, it was intended to be a New Year's resolution series, and it already feels like we're halfway through the year now. But it was intended to, like with the brand new year, what are some habits that we could incorporate in our lives that would help us grow our faith? And so we've talked about things like uh, prayer, and prayer is spending time with God, and if we spend time with God, we're probably going to grow in our faith. So we're encouraged to have a, a daily habit of prayer. Does it, do we have to have a daily quiet time? Does it have to be a certain amount of time that we spend every day? No, but would having a daily quiet time help us spend more time with God? Well, yeah. You know, would, would spending a certain amount of time every day help us spend more time with God? Yeah. Um, we talked about giving. You know, and giving is about intentionality, and if we are more intentional in our giving, we will grow in our faith because giving's at the heart of God. So, does it have to be a tithe? Does it have to be a certain amount? Do I have to give every Sunday? No. But would tithing help me be more intentional with my giving? Would tithing help me be more generous? Yeah. And so, last Sunday, we started talking worship, and specifically the worship gathering, worship service, or assembly, whatever you want to call it. And uh, we said that that was about connecting with God and connecting with each other. So if we'll spend more time in the worship gathering, if we'll make that a weekly habit, we will grow in our faith because we'll be spending more time with God and spending more time with each other. But do I have to be here every single Sunday? Can I never miss? Do I have to be here every time the doors are open? Well, no, but would being here every Sunday help you grow in your faith? Would it, would it help you be spend more time with God. So that's kind of that's where we're going with the whole series. That's why I set it up the way I set it up, is I wanted to talk about the heart of the habit, and then I wanted to talk about what we have sometimes made the legalistic side of the habit. So there's like the heart of the habit. I know prayer is good, but then sometimes we turn prayer into a legalistic obligation. I know giving is good, and then sometimes we turn that into a legalistic obligation. I know coming to worship is good, and then sometimes we turn that into a legalistic obligation. It shouldn't be. It should, like coming to worship should not be a burden to us. It should be a blessing to us. It should not be something that I have to do. It's something that I get to do. It's something that I want to do. So, yes, today's question that I'm going to ask today, I've already answered. Uh, so I've already ruined the sermon for today. But I hope you'll still listen. And, uh, and we'll get into the scriptures here. Because today I want to talk about worship attendance. Okay, and that seems like kind of an, an antiquated topic in some sense. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, why are we talking about attendance? You know, let's just talk about worship. Just worship God with our heart. I want to talk about actually attendance, being a part of an assembly. Because like quiet times, like tithing, that have sometimes been turned into uh, something that feels burdensome to us. Something that feels like a chore to us rather than a, than a privilege. And um, some of us, if you grew up in a church background, uh, you probably have heard at some point in your history a message on Hebrews chapter 10 about forsaking the assembly. And you felt really guilty about forsaking the assembly because that was a phrase that got thrown around a lot, um, especially when I was growing up. And I'm actually, this is just to tell you how scary the algorithms are, uh, uh, on Instagram now, I'm getting reels about forsaking the assembly. Uh, not because I have been forsaking the assembly, but either they heard me talking about it 
or, you know, they got my Bible bugged or whatever. But, I mean, it's probably I Googled the phrase, and now all of a sudden I'm getting reels from all these old preachers about forsaking the assembly. Well, the question I'm asking today is, is that such a thing? Like, is that, is it, is it wrong to miss church? Is it wrong to skip? You know, is it a sin to, quote, unquote, forsake the assembly and that comes from the old king james and i'm going to read it from the old king james in just a minute here but my guess is uh in a room like this there's there's all kind of different experiences growing up when it comes to to church attendance and church participation and I, i'm going to put you in three different categories okay so my guess is you fall somewhere in in one of these three categories or somewhere in between these three categories so on one side you've got uh you, you know when you were growing up you just didn't really attend church you know maybe every now and then maybe your family went on easter maybe around christmas maybe a couple times a year but it just it wasn't that big a deal to you it wasn't something that your family participated in it's possible that that's because your family was not christian that they weren't you, you they were not believers and so that's why we didn't go to church in this part of the country it's way more likely that you were believers you did believe in god and you believed in jesus but just for whatever reason, church was just not part of the routine, not part of the habit, and you just, you didn't really go. So that, um, that's one side of the spectrum. In, in the middle, there's a group of people that kind of, we, we were part of church, but we weren't there every time. Like, you know, I mean, it was, it was important to us, and we were a part of it, and we might have gone once a month, or we might have gone every other uh, month, or, you know, like, we, we did it. But it, we were like semi-regular in the, in the habit or the practice. And maybe you went through seasons where like we went, you know, a long time and then we got active in this thing and then we kind of dropped out or then, you know, parents got a divorce and we dropped out. You know, there's all sorts of reasons that people, it affects our church attendance. And so like we, we, were, we were regular but not, we weren't sticklers about it. I'll just say it that way. Like we, we, we didn't have to be there every time the doors were open or we felt guilty. Then there's the rest of us. <laughs> Oops, excuse me, the rest of us. Uh, and this was the group that we were there every time the doors were open, literally. Not, that's not, um, I'm, I'm not trying to do, you know, use hyperbole. We were there every time the doors were open. We were there every Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, if there was a seven-day revival or gospel meeting, we were going to be there for those days and nights. If there was a five-day VBS, we were going to be there for those mornings. Um, we were there every time. If, if our church had multiple services, we kind of felt guilty for not going to both services. You know, it was like that. Like, we felt like we needed to be there every single time the doors were open. Um, I know a lot about this one. Because that's, that's how I grew up. I, I grew up in that latter group. And we, you know, Sunday morning, we had worship. Oh, no, excuse me. We had Bible class at 9. We had worship at 1030. We went to eat at the General Cafe. I got chicken strips and curly fries. We went home for two or three hours. And we were back at the building like at 530 for another service kind of like Sunday morning services with a little different songs and the sermon's not quite as good because preacher didn't have as much time to work on that. But a preacher preached the second sermon on Sunday night that was different than the Sunday morning service. And then Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we were there. We were there 
didn't matter if you had football practice. It didn't matter if you had homework. It didn't matter if it was kids' bedtimes. Like when my kids were toddlers, I looked back going, how did my parents do it? I don't even know how they did it. Like that's, that was our toddlers' bedtimes. How in the world did they do it? But I mean, we were 7 to 8.30 or so, we were at church on Wednesday night. And if there was a gospel meeting or there was a revival, we were going to be there every night of it. We were probably volunteering in some capacity. If there was a VBS, we were going to be there. When my family went on vacation, my dad pulled out the yellow pages and found us a church to go to on Sunday morning. Because Sunday morning, we're going to go to church. Before we hit the beach, we're going to be at Destin Church of Christ. I mean, that's, that's just what we did. You're going to watch the Super Bowl tonight, right? Most of you watch the Super Bowl tonight. You realize I wasn't in my 20s. It was in my 20s when I saw the first full game of a Super Bowl. Because we were in church Sunday night. I never saw the first quarter of the Super Bowl. I never saw the national anthem sung in the Super Bowl. Because we were in church Sunday night, we weren't going to miss for the Super Bowl. You know, Disney used to do the Sunday night of the week, movie night of the week. Remember those? You know, I never saw the first 30 minutes of those either. So, I mean, we were, it was just a routine. It was a habit. It was a routine. It's what we did. And I know some of you kind of listen to that and you're like, your parents were kind of over the top. You know, you kind of think, that's, man, that's, that's kind of wild. Um, it really wasn't. I mean, it really wasn't. It was, that was just our habit. It was what we did. It was kind of baked into the normal rhythms of our lives. We didn't think anything strange about it. Uh, they didn't think anything strange about it. And looking back on it, I'm grateful they raised me that way. Like, I'm really grateful that they, they, they said, basically, Church is a priority, and we're going to make time to be there. I mean, if we had my brother got involved in All-Stars, and what, what did we do? We had to, you had to put your All-Star uniform on and come to church before you went to All-Star weekend and played in the ball games. Or if you couldn't make it Wednesday night, we would have a team Devo, you know, before the game started. And you go, you know, that's just over the top. Well, really, I'm grateful for it. I, I wasn't as strict with my kids about that. Like when we go on vacation, we don't always go to the church. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I wasn't that strict, but I look back and go, maybe I should have been, you know, like it, I, I'm grateful for the way my parents raised me because it was a blessing and it was a benefit in my life. You know, I think, I think it all turned out okay. You know, um, my sister, that's a different story, but, but otherwise I think most of us turned out really good. <laughs> She'll be in the second service. Um, but the question is this. Did, did we have to do it that way? That's the question. Like, did we have to do it that way? Was, was the motivation for doing that, if we don't do it this way, then we're sinning and we're wrong. Did we have to do it that way? Or, you know, was it, was it okay to ever miss an assembly? Let's look at the verses real quick. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Now, don't y'all tell my sister about that. So I, I, want her to, I want her to be ready for that joke. I'm real proud of that one. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and 25. I'm going to read it out of the King James Version because this is the way it was usually taught. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. That's where that phrase comes from, not forsaking the assembling together of ourselves. Here it is in modern English. Andy, if you put that one up for me. All right, good. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So what you have in this text is the author of Hebrews is encouraging the, the believers to continue in the habit of meeting together. And it tells us several things in this text. It tells us it was their habit to meet together regularly. I don't know that he's talking specifically about the Sunday morning assembly. I know he was not talking about the Wednesday night assembly because that, that's new. You know, in, the, in, the, in Christian history, that's new. Sunday night assemblies, that's new in Christian history. And there's some interesting history if you ever study kind of how those came about and, and why those, a lot of churches no longer exist. So, um, but he's talking about the fact that Christians were meeting together. And he's encouraging them to not give up the habit of meeting together. And he's talking to them about why they meet together. You see all kind of clues in there about why they meet together. And I'm actually going to jump up to, to uh, verse 19. And I want you to let's get the whole context here. And, and as I read this, I want you to be listening and asking the question of why does he encourage them to meet together? It's not because I want you to check a box. It's not because I want to put a burden on you and, and your family to make you be here all the time. Why is he telling them they need to meet together? He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened to us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, and he's talking about Jesus as the great high priest that draws us to God, since we have this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And so one of the reasons he gives that we gather is to draw near to God. We, we, we have the opportunity to draw near to God because of what Jesus has done for us. And it doesn't say that you know, God is only here and that God only occupies buildings. No, of course, God's spirit lives within all of us. But there is a special presence of God where two or three are gathered. I mean, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am also. So when, when we gather together, we have an opportunity to draw close to God. We do that through communion. We do that through songs. We do that through prayers. We do that through the teaching of the word. We have an opportunity to draw close to God. But then that second half in verses 23 and 25, I won't read them again. I've already read them. The other reason he talks about that we gather is to spur one another on to love and good works and to encourage one another. So there's that connection with God and there's that connection with each other and the connection with each other is a specific type of connection it's to encourage us to do more good it's to encourage us to be good and it's to encourage us in our walk of faith and I'll give you two examples of that that happened last Sunday I didn't mean for these to happen last Sunday it's just as I'm writing the sermon it's like these are two great examples of what it looks like when we gather to encourage one another one of them uh, was Lisa South, and I don't know if Lisa's in this room. She might be in the back. I can't see. But um, Lisa asked me last Sunday to introduce or announce the people's table. And so she just said, hey, uh, will, you, will you make an announcement that the people's table is coming up Tuesday night? And so I made the announcement, and then I ran into her in the hallway after church. And I'm like, oh, hey, Lisa, how's the volunteers going for people's table? And she's like, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure. I, I th I've got few, but I'm not sure. And I was like, well, what if we just, like, my small group's meeting next week, so what if we canceled our Wednesday night meeting and we just did People's Table on Tuesday night? And she goes, oh, yeah, that'd be great. I said, okay, let me poll the group. And she said, no, no, you don't have to do that. It's <laughs> just if two of them show up, that'd be great. Like, just, and so I was like, okay. So I sent out to the group and said, hey, 
I know it's last minute notice and some of them couldn't make it because of, you know, they already had school stuff and that kind of thing and already had commitments. And, uh, but, but our group went and served at the people's table and it was incredible. I mean, it was, I mean, it's, that is the coolest thing. I, did, I totally, I mean, I knew it existed, but I'd never been a part of it. And they, they make it easy and like you just show up and here's your job, you're washing dishes, you're serving, you're serve, taking desserts out to the tables, whatever. We had, we had elementary age kids washing dishes. It was my job, and then I tricked the manners girls into doing it. Um, we, we had Luke out there, you know, taking barbecue sauce out to everybody. Uh, we had toddlers, you know, packing bags. I mean, it was, it was just the coolest thing. And I left feeling good. Like I did. I, I, you know, I left, and I, I think I called uh, Jenny on the way home. Or maybe I called Dad. I can't remember, but I called. I was like, man, that's the coolest thing, people's table. We've got to do that some more. I, was, I didn't realize that was such a, a neat ministry. And I left feeling good because I felt like I'd done something good. And that happened because I was at church on Sunday morning and I ran into Lisa South who had organized the whole thing and she encouraged me to come. You know, that, that, that kind of stuff happens when we gather together. And it's not just people's table. It could be other things where you gather together and somebody says, hey, won't you come do this or won't you come do this? Or, and that kind of stuff happens. Here's another example of encouragement. And I got this email last week. And I asked their permission to read it. I'm, I'm still going to leave their name off, but I asked just to read a, a portion of it. And uh, this was after our step one class, and they were just kind of talking about their experiences um, at Murray Hills. And it said, uh, when we first came, we instantly felt a connection of family. A, a come as you are, come love God, no exceptions. What a breath of fresh air in today's messy world. When doing the angel tree drop off, Ebony and I had a conversation, and then once my husband and daughter walked in, I introduced them, and Ebony then asked for my name, and I laughed because talking with her felt so natural, it never crossed my mind that we had never actually met or introduced ourselves. And so then in conversation, I mentioned some health issues that we were dealing with my daughter and how we were riding waves of chaos with it, and it was quick and brief, and off to the service we went. Later that week, I got a text message from Ebony simply saying how wonderful it was to meet me and how she was covering us in prayer she had no clue the level of ache my heart had been carrying, nor the joy her personal reach brought to us. And then we met for dinner not too long after that, and I couldn't have felt more loved and reassured that we were exactly where we meant to be. Like, that happened because both of those people showed up at an assembly and, and, and encouraged one another. You know who was also encouraged? Ebony, when I forwarded that email and said, Ebony, great job. Because that, that, she's encouraged in that. I mean, that, it's a, that's what church is for. It's, it's for encouragement so that we might encourage one another. And there are times that that happens in the assembly. Tiffany chooses a song, and it's just the right song that hits you in the right moment, and it's exactly the lyrics that you needed to hear. You know, it's, it's a prayer, and it's just the right prayer that somebody prays, and they pray exactly what was on your heart and is exactly what you needed to hear. Sometimes it's in a sermon, and oftentimes that's not planned. Somebody will come up to me and say, hey, that thing you said about, and they'll tell me something I said in the sermon. I'm like, I don't even remember saying it. Or if I did say it, it was not a big part of the sermon, but it just happened to be the thing that you needed to hear in your situation. It was that verse that you needed to hear in your situation. But oftentimes that encouragement happens outside of the service. It happens when you're talking to one another. I will see sometimes after everything's over, and here I'll see some you know people sitting together, and they might be 
talking with one another or sometimes they're asking somebody to pray for them or maybe they're talking with a minister. It's just I needed some encouragement. And church is a place that you should go to get some encouragement. Now, I'll be the first to admit that it has not always been that way. And, and I'll be the first to admit that church, because it is made up of people and people are imperfect, has not always lived up to its ideal of encouraging. There's, there's been plenty of us that have left church service feeling discouraged, not encouraged. All right? And sometimes it's because of the preacher. Sometimes it's because, you know, in the name of, you know, preaching, and, preaching against sin, you know, you, get, you just get beat down. I mean, you just get beat up and beat down, and you walk out of here feeling lower than when you walked in. Uh, sometimes it's because of people in the pews or chairs in this case but uh, you know you know the sideways glances you get or the looks and it's kind of like you know sometimes church has been more associated with shame than it has with encouragement and it, it should never be that way it should never be that way um, shame and condemnation are not things that Jesus brought us I mean, sin brings that to us, and you know, you know, sin brings us condemnation, but Jesus never brings us shame and condemnation. And this church, we've tried to, we've tried to be different. We've tried to do better. I'm not going to, we've not done it perfectly. But, you know, when Gary and, and, and Gary and other families, you know, I'm looking out here and seeing people that have been at this church, the Stevens, that have been here since the day one of this church. They said, we want this to be a place where people who've been hurt by religion or hurt by legalistic faith can find health, hope, and healing. We want this to be a, play, a safe place for people to discover the freedom of God's grace and the power of God's love. Like, those values are still infused in this church. We want to be a grace-oriented church, non-denominational, non-judgmental, grace-oriented church. And like I say, we don't do it perfectly, but, man, we try our hardest to, to do that because that's... God's grace is calling us into a different lifestyle, and it doesn't necessarily lower the standard, it raises the standard, but we're not called to, we're not set free by grace in order to indulge the sinful nature. We're set free by grace in order to serve one another in love. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Like, we, we're, we come together to spur one another on to love and good works and to encourage one another. And I realize that there's been times that we've taken things like prayer Prayer is a good thing, isn't it? Prayer is a good thing. But when it becomes a legalistic obligation, when it becomes a, a box that i got to check, when it becomes something that I feel like I've got to just ch chug my way through to get done with my quiet time, well, then it ceases to be a good thing. You know, and, and giving is a good thing. But when it becomes a legalistic burden, then... You know, it ceases to become, again, same thing with worship. I think worship is the best example of all. Worship is a good thing. We, you know, we ought to like being here. We ought to leave here going, I, like my son with small group, okay, my son with small group, we meet every other week with small groups. He's happy on the weeks we meet. On the weeks we don't meet, he's like giving me heck. Like, why are we meeting this week? What's the matter? Why, why is the group not meeting? Because he's upset because he wants to be with his friends. He wants to hang out with Cohen and run around the church building. I mean, he wants to do that. That's, and that's the way that we ought to be when it comes to the assembly. Like, it's not a, shouldn't be a legalistic burden on us. It shouldn't be something we've got to do. Like, I want to do it. I want to be there because it's going to be something that's going to help me connect with my faith and it's going to help me grow spiritually. 
I want to close with, uh, with one more passage of Scripture. And it's a, uh, it's a passage of Scripture that I'm going to immediately, I'm a, uh, admittedly use a bit out of context. Okay? I'm, I'm just telling you on the front end because it's not specifically talking about the worship assembly or prayer or giving or any of those things. It's talking about the believer's freedom. And uh, I like the way that Paul puts it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. And so Paul's talking about the believer's freedom, the fact that you know he's trying to release people from the burdens of, of legalism. Because Paul was a Pharisee, and he was, strict observance to the law was how you were made right. And the grace of Jesus has set him free from that, and he's trying to release other people from that in, in, in the Corinthian church. And in Galatians and in, um, in Romans, he talks about this in multiple places where, you know, you're set free to serve. And he says, I have the right to do anything, you say. He's kind of putting an argument in place here. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And he's talking specifically about meat sacrificed to idols. Okay, so he's, and, and there was a big controversy in the early church about whether or not you could eat meat sacrificed to idols. And he basically comes to the conclusion that, yeah, you're free to do it. There's nothing that would prohibit you from doing it. But is it good for you to do it? You know, is it beneficial? Is it constructive? Is it going to help your brother and sister? That's what he's talking about. I think you can kind of take it, if you'll excuse my license just a little bit, and apply it even further to things like giving and uh, worship and and prayer. You know, I have the right not to be here every Sunday. I do. But is it beneficial? You know, I have the right not to give. But is it constructive? You know, I have the right uh, not to pray every day. But, it, but does it help me? You know, as you, as you grow in your faith, and I'm talking to me specifically, as I grow in my faith, you start to realize that you have the right to do things, but part of being a Christian is giving up my right to, to God's will. You know, so I give up what, what I want to do, and I yield to God's will in that. Even when I don't always understand God's will, or even when I don't always feel like doing it, you know, I'm going to yield to His will. And the purpose of it, when it comes to all those things, the purpose of the habits, you know, God's not giving us these habits because He wants to beat us up. And he's not giving us these habits because, you know, I just, I, want, I really want to add some obligations to their list. I really want to make them feel guilty. I really want to make them feel bad about the fact that they're not doing this, 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 and this. You know, any of the spiritual disciplines, and I just talked about three of them in this series. But any of them, God's not giving them to us as a, as a punishment. He's giving them to us because it, he knows that helps build our faith. That helps encourage and build up our faith. And if we could flip the narrative a little bit and learn to see it from his perspective, it's just like our kids, you know, I'm sure my son thinks that me telling him to clean up his room is punishment, right? That's dad punishing him. No, I'm trying to create some habits in him that I think is going to be beneficial to him as he matures. Because, you know, when you get married, you just can't do that, Roman. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to create some stuff, you know, like, like I, some, some good, healthy habits in him. Me making him do his homework. I'm sure he thinks that's punishment. No, you're going to need to know how to do math one day, and you're going to need to know how to read one day, and, and this is going to help you mature as an adult. This is going to help you mature into adulthood as you do these things. And I kind of look at it in the same way 
with, you know, God is, is telling us to do things not as a punishment, but knowing that this is going to help you mature in your faith. If you would do these things, this is going to help you mature in your faith. And, and the root motivation of those things is not law, it's, it's grace. So let me say a word of prayer, and i got a few announcements. We'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for, uh, for the word, and I'm, I'm thankful for uh, four words like Hebrews chapter 10 because even though maybe sometimes they've been over-applied with the forsaking the assembly and, and maybe preached a little too hard, they, there's still some good that came. Um, and there's, there's, there's good that comes when we seek to follow your word and we seek to create healthy habits in our lives and for our families. And it's hard because there's a lot of competition against, competing against us right now uh, in American culture. And just, I, I pray you help us to choose a different path. That as, as Christian families, we're trying to choose a different path and a different way forward. And um, we know we're not going to do it perfect. And I, s- I certainly have not done it perfect. But um, just help us to continue uh, walking the narrow road with you. As um, We pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.